I want you to think back and be real transparent with yourself tonight. Have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe you shared with a friend in confidence, you know, I really, I really think I should pray more. You know, I, I wish I would read more of the Bible, or I wish I would read the Bible more consistently. You know, I, I wish I would spend more time with God, but I'm just so busy. I want to, but it just doesn't seem to happen too much. You know, I've had people share things like this with me on and off through over the years as, as being their pastor, and it begins to break my heart as I hear in their voice the guilt and almost a sense of failure as they begin to share what it is that they wish would happen in their life spiritually. Do you ever feel guilty or discouraged because of the distractions that grip you in your life? Because of the busyness and the things that seem to crowd out your encounters with God? Maybe you feel like you have to perform for God. We live in a performance-based culture. How hard you work, you should be compensated for a similar amount of your effort. So we would think, you know, God, if, if I work real hard at this relationship, maybe you will give me more of yourself. Maybe you will reveal more of yourself to me. Maybe I can have more of those sacred encounters. Over the years, many have perceived that the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices are something that we just do. I like how Richard Foster puts it in one of his books on the spiritual disciplines, the, the things that we discipline ourselves in that allow us to be in God's presence. He paints a word picture of, of a spigot, kind of like an outdoor faucet on the back of your house that you put the garden hose to, except this spigot is, is huge. I mean, it is just massive, and, and it's right up here at the top of the ceiling, and if you would turn that big wheel, and out would come this gushing water of a huge waterfall stream. But instead of water coming out of the spigot, it's the grace of God. As Richard Foster puts it, he says, the spiritual disciplines are just things that in and of themselves do nothing. If I run my eyes over the words of Scripture, I'm just running my eyes over black or red ink that really doesn't do anything at all. When I close my eyes and I pray and I speak in my mind or aloud, that effort in and of itself doesn't do anything. But these spiritual disciplines helps me put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, and it aligns me underneath the spigot of grace. And so these spiritual disciplines, it's not to be confused with righteousness through our works, but they are things that God gives us, things that we can do to be underneath the stream of grace that God gives to us. As I was sharing with a friend just a few days or maybe even a week ago now, it would be nice if God would just stay still. Did you ever wish God would just stay put for you and not move around? But God in His goodness and His wisdom beckons us to follow Him. And as this spigot moves, so God calls us through the spiritual disciplines to put one foot in front of the other, doing our part to be underneath the spigot of grace that he pours out on us. Gives us a picture of what these spiritual disciplines could look like. And many have seen these as a way that they somehow mastermind or something they just do to earn God's favor. The problem is this is a very short step between this righteousness through works 
A form of legalism takes, takes grip in our heart. I want you to imagine with me, if you would, a, a fictitious woman who has, let's say, four kids in a very short period of time, many of them very young. She's a young mother who longs to be devoted to God, yet she is exhausted with one colicky baby, a husband who's working long hours, and a family who are many miles away or not close to help with the kids. She's physically and emotionally and mentally fatigued. And one day she calls her father and she just breaks down and cries. Although the spiritual disciplines are important to her, she expresses how she has found it so difficult to find time to read the Bible or to give herself to these various spiritual disciplines. And she is overridden with guilt and she feels condemned. And then her father on the other end of the phone says, Honey, God loves you so much. He cares more about you being exhausted and worn out and fatigued in the end of yourself than how many chapters you have read of His Word this day. He knows your heart. I enjoy thinking of a a thought like this where we can begin to see our Heavenly Father as one who cares about us as individuals, as His creation, His beings. We can begin to see that The Father wants to teach us about praying without ceasing. It's not punching our spiritual time card, but redeeming time in the laundry room as we're changing diapers, as we're doing tasks, we can be in conversation with our Father. Christ doesn't want us to spend time with Him out of guilt or duty or obligation, but out of a sacred encounter or a sacred romance with Him. He wants us to fall head over heels in love with Him. So much that we think of Him wherever we go. He loves you so much, He can't even describe to us how great His love is for us. That's what's so transformational when we allow it to grip our heart. He longs for sacred moments with you, and He is beckoning us to long for sacred moments with Him. Now this is not meant to discourage you or to give you a license to say, Well, Pastor said, you know, I... God just cares about other things I'm going through. I don't need to read my Bible. No, God is calling us to meet Him in His Word. We're going to talk about some of these spiritual disciplines over the next number of weeks, but we need to understand that this is rooted, this is based in a foundation of His love and His grace for us. My hope is that over the next six weeks, the people of God, us, will do these things not because we have to, but because we want to. Imagine how exciting it is to live at a level where there is opportunity after opportunity of sacred encounter after sacred encounter with the creator of the universe. I want to invite you to jump on board at the beginning with this rendezvous series as we look at how we can grow deeper in our walk with him. Now in this room, the person you just shared with about what Jesus is teaching you, many of us have walked with Jesus for One, two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty plus years. But it's amazing those who have a sacred romance or an encounter with God, those who've walked with Him for decades tell me that the closer they get to God, the more that they see that they don't know about Him. Yet the more they love of what it is they find. I want you to turn with me in your Bible or in your outline there. Look at Mark chapter 12, 28 through 31, one of the two key texts we'll look at tonight. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Mark twelve twenty nine, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. A teacher of the law hears Jesus debating with others, and he comes to Jesus and asks this challenging question. Now the scribes had determined that the Jews were obligated to obey literally hundreds of laws. There was something like 365 negative or things that you couldn't do, these negative rules, and 248 positive or things that you had to do, all these rules that they had memorized and that they would pride themselves on not only knowing them but obeying them all. One of their favorite exercises was to discuss which of the commandments were the greatest commandment. Kind of makes one of your hobbies seem boring, doesn't it? You could just memorize all these hundreds of rules and Debate with your friends which one's the most important. That's what they were about. And then Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This great confession of faith that today the most devoted Jews will recite every morning and evening. It's called the Shema. It's very well known to us around here. We inscribe this on the walls where we minister to kids and it has great significance to us. The Shema, the first word of the confession, which means hear. He quotes then Leviticus 19, 18, which emphasizes love for our neighbor. Jesus made love the most important thing in life because love is the fulfillment of the law. If we love God, we will experience his love and then we will express it to those around us. I want to ask you a question. Not how are you doing in your journey with Jesus. But how is your loving of people around you speak about your journey with Jesus? It's easy for us to sometimes divorce the two, how we treat others and how we love God. But Jesus is saying they are married, they are wed together, and one should greatly impact the other. Jot this down if you're taking notes. We do not live by rules, but by relationships. A loving relationship with God enables us to have a loving relationship with others. In fact, it calls us, it commands us, it compels us to love those around us. This series, as we look at a rendezvous, a a sacred encounter with God, this is not just to, to suck the marrow of life out of us spiritually and to get everything we can for ourselves in a selfish tone. No, the more we get of God, the more he gets of us, the more it should get out on everybody around us. This is why God calls us, draw near to me and I will draw near to you as we've already heard tonight. He knows that when we are overwhelmed by his love, it will ooze out of us onto those around us. Here's some things that we need to know. Uh, Four key ones I want us to catch tonight. First, God initiated this love relationship. Now, the last month or two, we've been talking about this over and over and over. It should not seem new to us. God loved us first. Listen to 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. It wasn't our idea. He started it by loving us first. He passionately loves you and longs for you and I not only to know that, 
but to be saturated in that love. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody can say, I love you. It's one thing just to say, I love you, but it's another thing to demonstrate your love with actions as God did in giving His Son, Jesus. While we didn't give a rip about Him, He came to us. We also need to note that there's something for us to do. We need to respond to His love. We talked also about that this morning in our response to the forgiveness given. For us to go into these sacred encounters with God and for Him over the next six weeks for us to, to look at the spiritual disciplines and, and this romance we can have with the Holy Spirit, we have to first see that it's rooted in His love for us and our response to that love is paramount. God loved us first, but how we respond is so important. How can we respond? Three quick ways that we respond. We receive His love. Some of us are pretty good at receiving His forgiveness. Receiving His pardon from hell, as we talked about this morning. But some struggle quite a bit with receiving His love for us as a person. When we look in the mirror, we see all the things that we don't like, and we can't imagine anybody loving us, let alone God, who knows everything about us. Remember that this relationship with Jesus is a two-way street. He loves you deeply, but you need to reciprocate by receiving that love. 1 John 3, 1 tells us, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. I like that word lavish. There's some words in, in our language you just you can almost see it. Lavish. Just painting it on thick. When's the last time that you've really had an encounter with God's love for you? Not like a academic understanding of love, but a sacred holy encounter. Where you were moved that God loved you, Vicky. That God loved you, Norm. That God loved you, Paul. That God loved you, Scott. Jesus looks at each of us and says, I love you with an everlasting love. We are to receive that love. Matthew ten forty says, He who receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the love of God Himself. And we receive the Father when we receive the love of Jesus. Also, we are to reply or to return His love. When we look back at Mark 12, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The proper response to God's love is to reply to it and to return it, to love Him, and then we'll see in a moment to love those around us. For the next six weeks, together we're going to discover and reinforce ways that we can return God's love to Him. It's this revolutionary love that we talked about together, I, I think about a year, almost a year and a half ago now. This love that 
is the love of God that comes to us. It's the love of God that we reflect to Him, and it's the love of God that we end up extending to those around us. Dr. Kinlaw talks over and over about the love of God transforming every aspect of who we are. Not just in this philosophical, heady idea, but in a very tangible, Monday morning through Saturday, real life, love that affects everything we deal with. God says, I know every situation you find yourself in, and the answer to what you're facing is the love I have for you, and in turn, what you do with it. We are to reflect His love. How are you reflecting God's love? How are you loving those around you? Think back to Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. You ever find yourself having a tough time loving the people in your life? I believe that God calls us to see a remedy in this issue, not in a head-on approach with the other person, but more in a vertical review of who He is and what He has done for us. Out of a broken and contrite heart, where we are moved by how much we have been given that we don't deserve, it changes how we can impact the people around us. When you think of our text, you realize that this is a vertical relationship with us and God and a horizontal relationship with the people around us. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, that's the reflection of God's love that these sacred encounters are all about. Let's revisit 1 John 4 again. We love because He first loved us. Verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 1 John 4, 21, And He has given us this command, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We not only need a sacred encounter with God, a rendezvous with God, not just so we can get a spiritual goosebump, not so we can feel like our spiritual tank is full, but it is the strength and the power in which we are to respond to the people in our circle of influence. If we don't reflect His love by loving others, then something is seriously wrong with our relationship with God. It's something that we have to give ourselves to, to give our life to. We have to be intentional about it. Quite frankly, it is challenging. And this is why Paul talks about it so much. In Romans 12:10, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Say, Brady, what does this have to do with spiritual disciplines? What does this have to do with my encounter with God? Everything. This is a litmus test. This is the, the pre-test that we take as we enter into this journey with God over the next six weeks to see how are we doing in these encounters with God. This is not how are you doing with your ticket to heaven. This is not how are you doing if you are a child of the king. This is how are you doing with your romance, with your encounter with God. The closer you are to God, the more it's going to impact everybody around you. And these one another passages should strike very close to home. Paul also says in Romans 13, 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. 
Paul goes on in Ephesians 4, 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore encourage one another to build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And Paul goes on and on and on. He gets this encounter with God and he says, when I really, really interface with God, it causes me to see you differently and causes me to allow you to love me differently in my life. God is not done once he gives us salvation. God is not done with us once he begins this initial sanctification in our life. God wants to continue this romance, this encounter with Him. Well, how do I turn my spiritual routine, my disciplines into this sacred encounter? Where do these encounters happen? Friend, they happen all throughout the matrix of every relationship you have. Imagine if I would take a cinder block and if there was a, a pool, a little pond right here, and I would lunge this cinder block right out into the middle. And with a big kerplunk, and water would go everywhere, and Norm would be drenched with water. After that would go down, you know what would happen next. There would be that ripple effect that would go out. Where is this sacred encounter to happen? It's just like what would happen in that water. First, when we encounter Christ at that moment, there should be that inner ring. In the innermost parts of our being, those sacred encounters should take place. But if we think we can contain it there, we've missed it. The ripple effect should then go to our closest friends and family, the ones who are around us when no one else is around us. It should impact that next ripple, the acquaintances and friends we have that maybe don't have as much access, but they see us. It should ripple to our broader faith community and our brothers and sisters in our church. It should ripple out to those in the world that we are called to love on. I heard a speaker at a conference say one time, perhaps oversimplifying the truth, but maybe not. He said, our responsibility as Christians is to love God and to love people, period. If you boil it down, that's a pretty good assessment. You see, we encounter Christ, the living Christ. When that happens, that will take place. We will not only love God, we'll love people around us. When we talk about a sacred romance or a sacred encounter with God... We're talking about relationships both individually and corporately. This is not just a private thing. This is a corporate thing. It's not just something we do on Sunday nights. This is something you do on your own with the Lord as well. It's both. It's also not just private and corporate spiritually between us and God. It's also relationally with the people around us. A lot of people want to engage this love relationship with God, but they're not sure how. Over the next five or six weeks, we're going to talk about how we can encounter Him. But friend, let it be motivated in your heart that God loves you and these spiritual disciplines and practices that will help us embrace the great commandment to love God and to love other people is well worth the journey. The same goes for our relationships with others, with our neighbors, We can love them in many tangible ways if we allow God to teach us. I challenge you over the next six weeks to turn your spiritual routine into a sacred encounter with God. 
Well, what will the focus be? And in the final part tonight, I want us to look at John 15, 13 through 17 before we go. We'll be focusing on this sacred encounter with him. Before we can dive into that next week, I want you to think back to when you were in elementary school. I don't know what you played on the playground in elementary school, whether it was Foursquare or Red Rover or Buck Buck or whatever game you played that was fun. But I want you to imagine the kids lining up and that feeling that all of us had when captains were picking teams. If you were so lucky to be picked first, it felt good, but I was never one of those guys. I was always sweating it. As they would pick one after another, I would close my eyes and pray, God, don't let me pick last again. And then finally, somebody picks you because you're the lesser of the evils that's left, and you think, whew, at least I'm not in that boat. In our DNA as humans, we like to be chosen. Listen to John 15:13 through 17 in that light. Greater love has no one than this, than he that lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. John 15, verse 16. Listen here. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Think for a moment of all the daily issues and challenges and events that often complicate our life. Causing us to lose sight of the sacred encounter of a love relationship that Jesus has for us. He has chosen you. John 15:16 I did not choose you I did, you did not choose me but I chose you I appointed you to go and to bear fruit See God has chosen you for a relationship not just salvation that's part of it but a relationship That's the grace of God his favor his unmerited undeserved gift that he has given to us I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. It's kind of bothered me from time to time when I hear a lyric that says, I'm a friend of God. I think, it's kind of brash. This is exactly what scripture tells us. Jesus has opened up. If I think, (laughs) I'm a friend of God then this is out of line. But if I am a friend of God, this is being gotten by the text. The Greek word that's translated here, friend, is referring not to a casual relationship or acquaintance, but a true friendship. It's a word that implies close relationship, and this is about this love relationship we are to have with Jesus and the Father. Fourth, God has chosen you and I to be fruitful you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last he appointed us to be productive one way that we can have evidence shown of our relationship with god is by our productivity we bear fruit and fruit generally has seeds in it to reproduce more fruit 
But bearing fruit means that we let Jesus work through us. We have to stay connected to him. It's not you as the bearer of the fruit that does anything. It's you staying connected that allows us to bear fruit. As we see that we can connect to God through his word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law, or the word of the Lord. And on his law, or his word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. When we connect with God through his word, fruit will come out of our life. It's not just running our eyes over the pages of Scripture, but when I allow my life to be applied to His truth, fruit will come out. We're also to be recognized by our fruit. How do people around you recognize you? When you drive an orange truck and you have a bald head, it's, it's pretty easy to be picked out in a crowd. It's hard to hide which is fine. I don't have anything to hide. You can find me at Walmart or wherever I am. But when you look beyond your physical characteristics, how do people pick you out? Do they recognize you by any fruit of the Spirit? Or is it the spoiled things of the flesh that they characterize you? Oh, you know them. Don't ever get on their bad side. You know what they are like. Boy, you just get them out of their comfort zone and they come unglued. You know, he's a great person, but I wouldn't count on him for any grace. Is the fruit of the Spirit not only evident in your life, can you be recognized by it? Third, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This isn't in our own strength. It's not by our own efforts. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at these spiritual disciplines and the fruit that comes out of a relationship with Jesus is not done by ourselves. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Fruitfulness is not only something that we have as individuals, but corporally as well. When we bear fruit, others will realize that God has chosen them as well. The seeds of the fruit in us will produce more fruit in others. See, God pursues His love affair with you and intends the ripple effects to affect everyone around you. As we close this evening, I want to encourage you to make an effort to join us over these next six Sunday nights. As we just kind of Scratch the surface. I hope that I've maybe piqued your interest just a little bit on what God has for us. If you're a person who likes to overachieve and wants to dive in a little bit more, if you would go to nph.com, that's nazarenepublishinghouse.com, there's a book called Rendezvous by Dr. Frank Moore. I believe you can go to Amazon and find it there too. That's a great companion. That's not required. You don't have to go through that over the next six weeks together. But this is a skeleton that we are walking through this curriculum and through God's Word on seeing the sacred encounter, the romance with the Holy Spirit that God intends for us to have at every stage in our journey. You don't want to miss what God has for you. 
And the people in your circle of influence, if they could hear and see what God is going to do through us, they would cry out, please don't miss what it is that God wants to do through you in my life as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you not only know everything that concerns us and every detail of our life, but you love us unconditionally. Father, I pray that everybody, under the sound of my voice this evening, would not be able to go to sleep tonight until they have an encounter with the great love you have for them. Lord, we don't want to be selfish stockpilers of your love. I pray that you will help us see that you want to do something in us and through us with your love. And Lord, I ask that over the next six weeks, you will begin to create an appetite, a hunger for sacred encounters with you. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing us. We didn't pick you. You picked us. Help us never to get over the fact that you see something in us that quite often we don't see in ourselves. Teach us to not only receive your love, not only to reciprocate and respond to your love, but teach us, Father, to reflect your love to those around us. Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen.